Matt Whitaker, former U.S. Acting Attorney General. This is such a great conversation about America, our future, what's going to save our republic. We have a great football player. Matt Whitaker is here. Matt. They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a seed. Whitaker. Former Acting U.S. Attorney General. Under President Trump. I'm going to be an unwavering supporter of law enforcement. Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. Welcome to Liberty and Justice. I'm your host, Matt Whitaker. This week, I'm going to share with you a show that I did with Tim Murtaugh and Hogan Gidley called Line Drive Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Remember, everything I'm doing is at Whitaker.tv, otherwise on social media, at Matt Whitaker 46. Thanks for tuning in. So, uh, Hogan, there's a, an awful lot going on. First of all, Sonny Joy Nelson gave birth to a little boy earlier this week, and she's not with us, and so that's fantastic news. That's that's kind of a weak excuse, but whatever. I mean, you know, if you would you would uh, you would think that uh, you know somebody who was de- dedicated to the podcast would if be answering. Dedica- the that's right. If she were dedicated you know? to this podcast. No, that's great. Congratulations for her and her husband. That's just wonderful. And it is wonderful to have her back. Little Isaiah. Uh, but anyway, the show must go on. We've got a fantastic guest uh, coming up today. We're going to talk about uh, the, the fourth indictment of President Donald Trump and also the uh, special counsel and the whole situation with Hunter Biden. And it's uh, really going to be a great show because this is the Line Drive podcast. So let's do that. Let's bring in former acting attorney general of the United States, Matt Whitaker. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. I think that you are the first guest we've ever had who has played in the Rose Bowl. Tim Hogan. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Um, That's a claim to fame, certainly. It certainly is. Well, let's get right to it because I know your time is valuable and and, uh, we don't want to waste much of it. So uh, the president, uh, former president, Donald J. Trump, uh, for whom all three of us uh, at one time worked, has been indicted for the fourth time this time in Georgia. What what do you make of all this? This this the, yeah. the structure of this indictment, the charges that are contained in it. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's an aggressive prosecution. I think ultimately, as I've been thinking and reading and and knowing my experience, this probably gets removed to um, federal court in Atlanta, but that would be the Northern District, and that's. An advantage for two reasons. One, you have a more experienced judge that would preside over that instead of this current judge that has about at most six months of experience on the bench. And then you also have a broader jury pool. You're not just pulling out of Fulton County. You have a whole the northern district, uh, which is certainly Atlanta Metro, but you go up to the Florida uh, Georgia line. I mean, I, I'm sorry, the other way, the South Carolina Georgia. <laughs> Hogan almost got mad at me not knowing yeah, my right. geography, but. Um, and so I think, I think there's some advantage to that, but you know, this, this, let's talk about the aggressive nature of this, uh, RICO prosecution. I mean, essentially RICO statutes are used, uh, against criminal business organizations or criminal enterprises. And so there are usually, uh, many involved. They all, you know, get, uh, charged with the RICO conspiracy. And then the, and then there's a list of, uh, predicate offenses and overt acts, I think to me, one of the you know interesting things, if you read through the over acts, they're, they're pretty innocuous, like Mark Meadows asking Scott Perry for the phone number of a couple of people. And they're just, you know, there's several things that just, you know, just don't seem to me to be uh, certainly any reason for criminality, nor 
the basis for this massive conspiracy. Um, the other interesting thing, you know, as I've as I've as I've, I've read and thought about this this indictment, is honestly, um, I don't know what else uh, the president was supposed to do. You know, he he had a lawsuit going on in Georgia. It had not been decided. They were, you know, still hearing the arguments, still presenting evidence. Uh, and so the lawsuit was alive. The Georgia had to certify their electoral slate. The, the uh, uh, Electoral Count Act uh, has a process for alternate slates. And, um, you know, I think this is a real criminalization of the political. And, you know, and there's this is, you know, essentially throws a flag and makes criminal folks trying to, you know, fight to win an election. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting where we find that uh, line to be drawn. Uh, but, you know, if it gets removed to federal court, uh, that will certainly uh, put a more uh, serious uh, tone and tenor, but also more uh, robust legal review ultimately on any uh, convictions if they get any. So just so the audience understands, too, I worked with Matt in the White House. Uh, he's an overall good dude, by the way. Um, overall. Great golfer. Great, overall. Great, I mean, you know. great golfer. I'm just trying to take in other things into a golfer know about you. That's but overall, good. good. Mm -hmm. um, and he's from Iowa. So he's got some relevance <laughs> in this conversation as it relates to what's going on in Iowa, which we'll probably get to later. But on this. This, is, this sounds like the Hogan seal of approval, but I'm not sure. Well, it's close. Um, <laughs> we don't. Yeah. Uh, so, Matt, is it is it? Um, uh, do you feel as though this indictment, compared to others that are clearly overreaches and things like that, yeah. you're talking about going after someone for phone calls, which is not new to Donald Trump, obviously. But you mentioned Meadows, um, text messages, etc. Um, questioning the outcome of election, which Democrats have done in this country for decades. I mean, 2016. If you didn't, it was your patriotic duty to question the outcome of the election. If you didn't, you were somehow a Russian cat's ball and a yeah. dude Vladimir Putin. It, is two questions. One is, how much of an overreach do you feel like this indictment appears to be, if at all? And then two is, ha have we have we broken the glass here? Meaning, why haven't? When is it going to happen that Republican prosecutors across this country just start going after? Democrat office holders for doing the exact same thing for questioning elections, et cetera. So it's a two part question that really the first part has nothing to do with the second part per se, but sure. overall, uh, how do you feel about the uh, indictment first? Then we'll go to the second. Yeah. Part. Well, let me take exception first with what you said about me being a great golfer. I think that uh, mm -hmm. belittles the game and it I uh, I said good. insults, uh, insults I I a lot good. of people that actually are much, much better than me. Um, I certainly know that you start a golf round on the first tee, typically, unless you're in a, a shotgun. And so that's about as far as I go on a, being a great golfer. But that being said, you know, I think this I think this there's a there's a there's now a line of cases. And I think the the second Jack Smith indictment uh, regarding January 6th sort of started this trend where you have a, uh, a, a, a aggressive extension of what the law was intended, you know, in the Jack Smith January 6th case, which is based in DC, you see one, uh, the use of Sarbanes-Oxley um, prohibitions and criminal statutes, which was passed after Enron to deal with, you know, businesses committing uh, financial fraud. And then you also have 
a construction era 1870s statue uh, that was used to go after the Ku Klux Klan in uh, the South uh, as they were wreaking havoc um, uh, during Reconstruction. And so, you know, that I think this this case is obviously your is being a Rico statue, which is intended to go after gangs and, um, you know, really um, you know, kind of the Coaster Nostra and those, you know, th those types of criminal organizations that, you know, make crime a business, um, you know, they're, they're using that statute now to try to assemble that in, in this nature. And so I think, uh, you know, it's hard for me to relatively put these together. I think that it's, it's time will tell, but it just seems to me in my experience as a prosecutor, you know, I, I've said before that the path to justice is well-worn. I mean, typically these statutes prohibit certain activities and actions and you prosecute people uh when they violate the law you know i think in in these most two most recent uh indictments and certainly one, an argument can be made for all four is that you know we're in a brave new world if you look at the alvin bragg the very first indictment uh, up in manhattan you have um somehow a uh, taking misdemeanors uh falsification of business records and shoehorning that into a um, felony because of some uh, expired uh, statute of limitations has run on the election um, disclosures. And so I, you know, I kind of scratch my head on, on that one as well. But this is uh, why we have appeals courts and why we have Supreme Court. And I think all of these cases are going to find their way there ultimately. And I forgot your question, Hogan. I'm sorry. Well, no, Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? My God. I know. It really does. How, how concerned are you about the venue in, in all these cases? Like, I mean, well, I mean, obviously against him in a big way here. Yeah. The Manhattan jury is going to be tough. Uh, we've, you know, we've heard those stats on the voter registration. And typically it's uh, most juries are pulled, not just from registered voters, but they've expanded it to like the, essentially the phone book, you know, anybody that resides, uh, you know, in, in the, particular district. So in Manhattan, in that case, I think the, the Florida jury is certainly going to be the most uh, sympathetic to the president, uh, or at least fair. And again, remember, the Constitution entitles him to a jury of his peers, not his enemies. So, uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting right. uh, a small footnote in, in, in the history of all of this. I think D.C. is an impossible jury pool. I mean, you saw what they did with the special counsel Durham's cases and how they, you know, those cases were clear violations of law and they just, you know, jury nullified them. And then, and then I think, you know, if it stays in Fulton County that, you know, the those registrations are also difficult that, you know, it's a, that would be a difficult jurisdiction. I think it'll ultimately end up in the Northern district of Georgia and the federal courts. And that's probably a fairly even fair uh, jury pool. Yeah, you know, there's there's a you know there's two separate questions here that everybody's been talking about in the media. The first one is obviously the political one, and it's pretty obvious from all the polling that uh, we do polling at where I work at National Public Affairs and in, in in South Carolina in particular, it shows that like everywhere else, it's helping Trump uh, in his path to the Republican nomination. But the legal question is a separate one, and you you're just touching on it there with talking about the venues and what kind of juries might uh, be constructed from those venues. And even if these indictments and all of the charges contained in them uh, are overreach and an mm -hmm. abuse of prosecutorial power, even if all that is true, 
there, these cases, the charges still exist, whether anyone thinks that a crap or not. And so that being the case and looking ahead to juries that may be potentially hostile to the former president, he is what, what sort of legal jeopardy do you think he truly is in? Oh, she's that. I mean, Tim, that's a, that's a million dollar question. That's a tough question. Uh, you know, obviously nobody wants to be charged with a crime. I think that's uh, the fact that he's still, you know, fighting for the nomination and the presidency uh, is a testament to just, just his, you know, character and personality. But that being said, you know, I, I think, um, you know, ultimately these most like, you know, I think ultimately will go to trial uh, by and large, and I don't know how they're going to turn out. I don't know when they're going to go. That's going to matter. Um, there's just going to be a lot between now and whenever these go to trial, and certainly a lot of election um, is going to be uh, come and go. And I, 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 it's it's hard for me to predict. You know, typically uh, the the prosecutor controls when to charge a crime. But the defendant ultimately, on when it's tried, has a lot of has a lot of control, and and certainly if the Trump team wants, I think they'll be able to move these and slide these uh, beyond, you know, the election in twenty four. Okay, so uh, the second question I had before that we didn't quite get to was: Should Republican DAs kind of start determined doing determined to come back to that, Ogan? Yeah, he's a boy. He spent too much time in the press corps when he was a reporter. I want to go. Yeah, I want to go you know, back to that because. It seems if only, if only Joe Biden had these kind of tough and yeah, man, I'm just man. Saying, no, I'm just saying like guy a break, Hogan. Doesn't it go to expose this the the ridiculous nature of these? If we just start doing these all over the country, it, it kind of shows people how stupid it is. No, you know actually, I mean? I, that's a I I think that I, we need to talk about this because the um, the desire for retribution by folks on the right is going to be strong and there's right. going to be a desire to get for you know an eye for an eye and as someone that has spent you know over seven years in the criminal justice system at doj you know i can tell you that once we get to that point the whole system is going to fall apart uh you know i i said it when alvin bragg um uh indicted and you know when there was talk of this Georgia uh, case. This is, this is end of the Republic types of things. These are the kind of things that ultimately, you know, the, the, the system we built is, you know, I hope it's equipped. I hope, you know, our jury system and our laws and our courts can withstand uh, something this polarizing and this political. Um, but I'm not sure our founding fathers ever contemplated this. You know, we've had some pretty outrageous things happen uh you know i think there's also for example on january 6th i mean there's a double jeopardy question you know trump was impeached for that so is that you know can they get another bite at the apple can you know can mm. he be criminally charged once he's been impeached uh we've never faced that issue obviously and so you know i think these are some of the the, the issues of first impression that we're just gonna have to go through and see you know because because you know like like it's been said it takes 218 people to impeach somebody in the House. Um, it also takes five uh, Supreme Court justices to say what the law is. So, I, I, you know, to some extent, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm used yeah. to, like I said, the well-worn path of justice. Typically, there are a lot of cases that you can look up and say, this is how these typically turn out. This is a brand new, never before seen thing. Another one of these things that's never before seen now, everybody's the one of the questions is uh, the idea of if he becomes president again, can he pardon himself? 
And on the federal things, it, I mean, it seems clear to everybody that, yeah, he could pardon himself on federal charges. But what about things that are in state yeah. court? Uh, there's there's divided opinion on that. I see a lot of folks say, no, he can't do that because federal obviously is different from state. But then I saw a guy like Mark Levin say, no, I disagree because of the supremacy clause and the federal federal laws being supreme. He could pardon himself uh, on state charges. Do you, do you have a, any thoughts on those? Well, the great one is great for a reason. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I wouldn't yeah. want to quibble with him. Uh, you know, like I like I said before, though, these are issues of first impression. The certainly the Constitution provides uh, for the impeachment power. It's very broad. Uh, it, you know, it just says that that power is vested in the president. And, um, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, and with, with separation of powers as it is, I'm not sure the Supreme Court um, can necessarily say that either. I mean, this is, you know, this gets in a very esoteric legal yeah. land pretty quickly. Right, um, right. And this is another reason why I think you're going to see a real push. And Mark Meadows uh, has already filed. And I think Rudy Giuliani has too to remove the Georgia case to federal court, because then obviously that would be uh, uh, available for sure to be um, pardoned. Um, okay. So one thing is interesting, and then I, I want to ask you about Iowa too, but I find it fascinating that you know, a lot of things that Donald Trump was using as, as the defense when you're talking about Georgia and, and what he was trying to look into as far as election integrity, et cetera. A lot of those cases across the country are thrown out for standing, which is a fancy way of saying you don't have the right to bring this because you weren't harmed by whatever the thing is. I do find it fascinating that in order to defend himself, he's going to have to enter into evidence a lot of things that never saw the light of day from before. And we'll kind of there'll be an almost perilous relitigation of a lot of things that were accused of doing and not doing in the 2020 cycle. Um, and I, I know you probably don't want to comment on that. I just find it interesting to me that that's something that after all this time and all <laughs> the cases right? that got thrown out now, maybe the time we actually have a conversation about some problems and this, by the way, YouTube or, no. Apple. This isn't about overturning anything. No one's saying that. I'm just saying it's just really interesting to see that if they can prove some instances of fraud, not widespread, just any fraud. I mean, how much fraud's okay? What's yeah. gonna What's gonna end up happening in that particular case? But I digress. Yes. Well, I mean, Hogan. First of all, I mean, I would love to hire you as my press and comms person if I ever need somebody. Sure. But I can do that. <laughs> the second um, thing uh, along those lines, I think that we need to know is that, you know, especially in the Jack Smith January 6th case, you do have an issue of what Donald Trump believed. And did he right. have to reasonably believe that? Or did he just believe it? And, you know, he's a, an individual that gets to have his own, um, you know, knowledge. And so, you know, and what was the basis for that belief? So I think you will see, to your point, I think you will see uh, some of that evidence uh, come into place. Um, you'll see all the affidavits that were, you know, filed by real people uh, that said they saw things. And so I just, you know, it's going to be very interesting um, how far that goes for sure. Now, Tim, can we talk Iowa for a minute? Whatever you like. Yeah. He's so from, Iowa football or just Iowa? He's from Iowa. He just got, yeah, I know he's he a triple got, Hawkeye. Aren't you? Aren't you a triple? back from Iowa? Oh, like, aren't you, a, aren't you a triple Hawkeye? Yeah, I have Matt? three degrees from the university of Iowa. Um, uh -huh. University of Iowa. 
Um, all right. So, uh, tell us, you, you were there. You were, there, were you there for the fair? I went to the fair on uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I don't want to admit that on Saturday night I went to the New Kids on the Block concert, so we won't even talk about that. Well, Sunday just, night I did go to Eric Church, which was a great show. And then on Monday, uh, Senator Eric Schmidt uh, came up and we flipped pork chops and uh, voted yeah. in the straw poll and just kind of had a had a great time in Iowa at the fair. Uh, on Saturday, there was this guy named, uh, what was his name? Uh, I think it was Donald Trump was there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so did you see this? Were you there when the plane was circling? Uh, yes, I, it was, it was pretty epic. Wild. I was actually at the pork tent. Uh, DeSantis was flipping pork chops and all of a sudden you know there goes trump force one flying right over the fairgrounds it was a it was a boss move uh you know they also had this plane pulling a banner that just said be likable ron with an exclamation point i think that was an homage to the jeb uh and the uh the thing when when desantis was speaking and the and trump force one was circling the fairgrounds i i tweeted that um if you wrote this scene in a movie about a presidential campaign the director would would cut it because it's not believable like this is too far-fetched yeah Yeah. that's insane that's kind of a lot of some of the things we deal with uh from time to time (laughs) in trump world uh but they um you know that all seems to fit together and 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 makes sense in the context. Well, how, tell me how this fair or this campaign is kind of going in Iowa, how this fair compared to previous ones. Look, I've been there for Huckabee, Santorum, et cetera. I've, I've been there many times. How does it feel? What's, what's different about this, this election, this caucus versus the rest uh, as you see it? That's actually a very insightful question. Um, I think there's some things that we need to understand. Um, Caucus campaigns used to be able to build to a crescendo on caucus day. And typically uh, that involved identifying your supporters and just making sure they were there that night. Uh, And if they weren't registered to vote or were registered as an independent or a Democrat, you could fix that all at the caucus. Um, And so you told them to get there early and make sure that they were properly registered as a Republican because it's a party function. Remember, it's not a right. state or a secretary of state function. It's a party function. It's a straw poll, it's a preference poll. Uh, this time, the legislature didn't want uh, any kind of project chaos to happen. And so they said that you have to be a registered with a party two months before uh, the caucuses in order to caucus. And so that requires these campaigns not only to identify their supporters and remember two months in a primary there's a lot of shifting. And so you could identify somebody you think is yours and all of a sudden you register them and they show up on, you know, two months later and vote for somebody else. That's a risk. But, you know, it's, uh, to some extent, this is going to be a very, um, uh, I guess detailed or, um, also you're going to have to understand who your people actually are, who the real people are, not just some like, Oh, we're going to get, you know, 27%. Uh, is what our model shows. You're going to have to actually know what, you know, if you have 160,000 or 200,000 people vote, who are your, you know, 40,000 people? What are their names? Where do they live? Where they, you know, you're going to, it's going to be a, it's a, it's a massive um, endeavor really at the end of the day. Good. I, we have, we're running out of time here. Can we, I want to talk <clears throat> very briefly about uh, Hunter and the special yeah. counsel that's been appointed. David Weiss, do you know, do you know David Weiss? So I met him several times. He was a U.S. attorney when I was at 
justice in the Trump administration. What uh, what do you make of this? A lot of Republicans, as soon as that happened, said, well, this is a sham. This is just a way for uh, the Biden administration to keep control of a of an investigation that they really don't want to pursue. So they put their guy in there. This is the guy who engineered the sweetheart plea deal with Hunter in the first place that, of course, blew up. Um, What's your what's your reaction to Weiss as the special counsel? Tim, I I completely agree with what you just said. I also want to just to add, you know, um, Merrick Garland's playing chess here, and he knows what the ultimate goal is of this game that he's playing, and that is to uh, minimize the exposure of Hunter Biden. And so, um, you know, uh, there are moves that are made. The judge, for example, reject, you know, rejecting the plea agreement. And so that responded with him appointing a special counsel. There was nothing that changed. You know, they I called for a special counsel years ago. Uh, in this case, you know, this, this, this should have had a special counsel. It certainly shouldn't be David Weiss, who, to your point, gave a deal that no one could point to another example where somebody got this kind of deal. Right. Uh, only the president's son could have gotten this deal. And, and so, you know, Hunter's in, in serious trouble. You know, he's going to have a felony gun charge filed against him soon. He's going to have at least two tax charges that could be felonies. And don't forget the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and the Foreign Agent Registration Act that still kind of hang out there and we learned at the plea hearing were still being investigated but if the FARA violation actually occurs here and they actually go after there does this ever eventually get to joe biden in any way any significant way well i mean we have a prima facie case which is a fancy way to say we have all the pieces and parts of a case for a uh you know for a bribery i mean this is clearly um, you know, we, we know, again, we know that the folks at Burisma uh, wanted this prosecutor gone. We know that they were paying Hunter Biden, who was the son of the vice president. We know that the vice president went to Ukraine and, and, and hung, you know, U.S. loan guarantees to a billion dollars over Ukraine's head in order to fire this, this prosecutor. And so to me, I mean, that is, you know, that's, that's a prima facie case. I mean, now we just have to look at the motivations and, you know, the, just this in the last couple of weeks, we see where a guy that was, you know, understood how this all fit together and understood Hunter's business dealings was on the plane to Ukraine on that trip with uh, Joe Biden. So I, uh, you know, to me, it's somebody having the courage. I think the other problem is, you know, this, the statute of limitations is probably run on that. I mean, that trip happened uh, in like 2015 and this most statute of limitations, including the FCPA, uh, would have run uh, five years later. So we're probably talking 2020 that was gone. And, you know, of course, I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason they impeached President Trump for this, you know, for this phone call, for the perfect call, right? Because uh, it was a good way to completely wag the dog and, and make everybody look the other way and, and think black was white. Amazing. Well, we look forward to uh, tracing all these things, and and uh, we really appreciate your insight and your time here yeah. tonight. Matt Whitaker, the former acting attorney general of the United States of America. Thank you very much for being yeah, here. Congratulations. Really appreciate you, Matt. Thanks so much. Right. Great yep. and this has been the Line Drive Podcast. <laughs>